Well, I'm a sorry sort this morning. Uh, for those that didn't know, I had to go in for knee surgery uh, the other week, which is great. Anyone had that done before? Anyone had knee surgery in the room? Yeah, there's a couple, no doubt. It's not pleasant. Um, uh, just as a, an update, because I'm sure you'd all love to know. Uh, so uh, I had to go in. I've, I played soccer for many years uh, at a high level. Um, so I uh, was still playing A-grade men's uh, indoor soccer, futsal, last year. Uh, but eventually my knees have got to me. Um, I've gone too far, I've pushed them too much, and uh, I've got on, had ongoing cartilage damage and different things happening in my knee. So I had to go in and get it all looked at, and my doctor tells me that I'm six weeks on crutches. <sighs> Painful. I have a nine-week-old too, um, so that's good. Um, luckily my wife isn't on crutches, but <laughs> otherwise we'd be shot. Uh, but... Uh, it can't stop me from, from doing most things, which is good, and um, thankfully I can, I can still uh, do a lot of the things that I normally do, and I can... <laughs> yeah, can't ride motorcycles, that's all right. Um, so no motorbike. But I can do a lot of the stuff that I have done in the past, which is great. I just can't go running and can't run around and, and do different things. But this morning, uh, we are continuing uh, to, to speak on the things of God, which is important in church, I think. And uh, we, we had a really great weekend last weekend. Who was here last weekend? Crowd participation, that's good. Yep, hands, great. Uh, last weekend, we had Marianne and Ron talk to us uh, powerfully about... No, no, not last weekend. That was just the 9.30 service. There you go. <laughs> Look at me, I'm, I'm out of the loop. I've missed some information. Uh, but the last week, we, we had a, a gap in our sermon series. We'd spoken the previous weeks about the book of James... And this week, we're starting a new series. We're starting the book of Hebrews. And you would have had the reading up there. But before we jump into Hebrews, I thought it was important to, to talk about the gospel reading this morning. It's a powerful one. And it's a tricky one in our modern society. It's one that requires us to look at our lives in a, in a way that is sometimes um, um, quite challenging and quite difficult. And it, it definitely is against our current uh, standards and, and beliefs and practices of a lot of what society accepts, particularly about marriage. And one of the things that I think is important, and I just wanted to touch on this before I get to Hebrews, is that Jesus is always about the heart. He's always about what God is doing inside of the individuals. I think it's important for us whenever we read really difficult passages of Scripture, particularly the Gospels, when Jesus is talking, that we understand that Jesus is talking to the heart of the matter, and He's talking to our hearts, and what is wrong with the human condition, and what is happening with us. He's not talking about the legalism, always, of what is going on in our lives. Don't get me wrong, I believe in the sanctity of marriage, I believe it is super important, and I believe that it is God's representation of what it is that He does in us and the imagery of Christ in the church. But I want to talk on a deeper level and just mention the fact that Jesus is talking about what happens inside the individuals. Hear me right, I'm not saying there is anything with marriage or divorce or anything like that that I'm trying to be contentious here. All I want to say is that Jesus always talks to what is happening inside of the individual, what is happening in the life of the people. He's not legalistic. He is the fulfillment of the law and the truth that stands within that. And so when it comes to the difficult areas of what happens in the lives of us, and what happens in the lives of weddings and marriages in life, Jesus wants to talk to us as individuals in the heart and where we stand before him and where we stand in marriage before him, where we stand as people. So I just wanted to say that to start with because it is a, a very, very important passage of Scripture 
and it's one that we need to know that Jesus is speaking through and to us in. If you want to talk to me about that, I'm sure some people might want to. I just felt this morning that I should address it because it was the gospel passage this morning. We are talking on Hebrews, though. And Hebrews is a lot like James, the series we finished, and it is a part of deep, intimate trust that we grow in in our faith. James is all about faith that does. And so it's fitting that we come to Hebrews because faith is a lot about Jesus. And uh, Hebrews is all about Jesus. It has a real... Christ focus. The big theological word is Christological focus, and it basically just means Jesus, right? Focusing on Jesus. Uh, This verse this morning, these first four verses, are what we're going to focus on, and uh, I wanted to uh, limit my scope this morning. You know us uh, preachers can rabbit on a little bit, so I've given myself four verses, don't worry, power through, we'll be good. Uh, But before we actually jump into the first one, Let's just talk about Hebrews really quickly, the book of Hebrews, likely written before 70 AD or roundabouts, uh, before the destruction of Jerusalem that happened at that time. This is likely because the author talks throughout the book of Hebrews about the sacrificial system of the Jews as if it were actually still happening, as if it was still in place. Uh, And this would be highly unlikely if it had happened uh, after 70 AD. If the book had been written after 70 AD, the the city had been sacked, the sacrificial system wouldn't have been happening. the likelihood, based on what the writer is writing, is that it would have been written around that time. Uh, the author was likely a Jew. He talks a lot about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And some believe it might be the Apostle Paul. But the style is very different to the way that Paul wrote. And it's, it's probably written by somebody else. Is usually the consensus of scholars. There might be somebody else out there who wrote this. Uh, perhaps another key leader in the church at the time. The structure is unique doesn't have an introduction, rather it jumps straight into the content, it goes deep straight away. Uh, I like that personally, I like jumping straight in, it's always fun. Uh, and he focuses the writer on Christ, as mentioned before, and of the supremacy of Christ, firstly in a broader sense, overall creation, and then as Christ being superior to the system of sacrifice that had come before, the one that the, the Hebrew people had Uh, long-lived with. The book also has a number of encouragements and exhortations to us around Christian living, such as not forsaking gathering together, which is what we're doing now. It encourages us that we should join together uh, and and be together and talk of the things of God. Very important. It's got a lot of imagery and it's very polished and by that it, it has a lot of refined writing. Some of the other books of the New Testament are less refined in the way that they Uh, come across. This book is very refined, or at least that's what people have come to believe about it. On a personal note, I've found that Hebrews is incredibly powerful and has been incredibly powerful for me personally. Between this book and the book of Romans, I feel like a lot of my own personal spiritual journey has, uh, has grown. I've been encouraged by this book deeply. So, now that we've finished context, let's get into it, shall we? Um, The text this morning, which we've already read uh, there, I should says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much superior to angels that the name he has inherited is more excellent 
and dance. So in verse 1, and I promise this morning I won't labor, we will be quick. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. God has been speaking for a very long time. He's used many ways to do this, and there are many, many tombs of theology written on this subject alone. He prominently used the prophets to speak in the Old Testament, and we know that. We have the names in the Bible. We have many different books named of the prophets' names. Of course, in this Old Testament and through the prophets, God used them as intermediaries. They were the people that came and spoke on his behalf. There are a number of times where God spoke for himself, of course, but a lot of the time he used the prophets. And there are many reasons for this, the way that God used prophets. But it's very clear that he did. He did use people. He used people to speak to people. And I've often been fascinated by this very thing, that God uses mankind to speak to mankind. He uses his own creation to speak to his own creation many times. He uses you to speak to other people on his behalf, powerfully. I don't know if you've pondered that specifically, but it says a lot about who God is, that he wants his people to speak to his people on his behalf. Nevertheless, as we continue, we see that he used the prophets in this way, and the message that he used from situation to situation changed, of course. Sometimes it was a powerful message of uh, condemnation, of the wrong that the, the leaders of perhaps Israel or Judah were speaking. Sometimes it was of great encouragement. The message changed. But broadly speaking, if we were to sum it up, what did the prophets talk about the most? Well, they talked about the greatness and the goodness of God. They talked about how big God is and how there was none greater. Ultimately, there are many different aspects of what the prophets said, but they spoke of how much God was superior to all other gods, that there was none greater. You might recognize the picture on the screen, you may not. A few weeks ago, I actually used the exact same picture in a message um, when I was speaking. Because I, I want us to come back to here, there is the truth of what the Jewish people stood for and what their whole system stood for, which is the Lord our God is one. There is one God, and He is true, and He is great. He's above all other gods. Verse 2 then continues for us in Hebrews and says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by a Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the worlds. That is a powerful thing to say if you're a Jew in this time, to say that God is speaking now in these last days by a son, and that that son, in fact, was how he created everything. God speaks to us by this son. Not that the prophets didn't do their job, I don't think that's what the writer here is getting at, but that a new and better way had come. God was speaking in a new and better way. And I think it's important to look at why this is better. Why is it? What makes Jesus better? What makes Jesus so qualified to do this? Well, it's pretty simple, really. He's qualified as a son. As the son of God, uniquely qualified to talk to us. Uniquely empowered to talk to us. As the prophets spoke, they were God's children in one way. But not in the way that Jesus was a child of God, with the divine impartation that came with that, along with his fully human participation. 
And that's a unique qualification of Jesus, fully man and fully God. The church, for many, many years, stands on this, this truth that Jesus was both in one, two in one, fully man and fully God. And he was also uniquely qualified as the heir to receive all that comes with that, knowing that he is the reigning, incoming, and standing king. And he is qualified as creator. Who else better to speak to mankind than the one that created it all? This is why Jesus is uniquely qualified. He's qualified as a son, he's qualified as an heir, and he's qualified as creator. And this is where it actually gets really, really good, and I get very excited. Please forgive me. I'll probably uh, (laughs) get overly excited at times. He, Jesus, is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. And when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus is an absolute reflection of God's glory. He is even more than that. He is this exact imprint. And the Greek word here is actually character, like you would see a character on a page for us, we like to think. He is such that when a carver would make an image or a likeness, it would be exactly the same. A complete reflection, exact reflection, exact imprint. More than this, Jesus is the imprint of God's very being, and that's really deep. The word being here is one of the most discussed words in all of Christendom. You may not have heard of this before, you may have, but the early Christian councils argued and discussed this word. It's called hypostasis, and it's the meaning of what is God, the meaning of what is being. So if God is the, if Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very being, what does that mean? It means it's the exact substance, the exact essence. He is exactly the same as God. And this is actually a really big deal. Jesus is not something separate to God. He is God. And he sustains all things by his powerful word, this verse tells us. Everything we have ever seen, everything we will ever see. Everyone around you in this room, every stone, Jesus sustains by his word. He paid the price for purification. He paid the debt for your sin and my sin. And he sits down at God's right hand. And that's also a powerful picture of the authority we've been given to sit at the right hand of God. It was always very important in ancient times who sat at the right hand. Jesus is God, is what the writer is saying. He doesn't come right out and say it, but he definitely says enough for us to know this is exactly what he means. We're sitting in church this morning, and this might not seem very radical, it seems pretty normal, but it was radical at the time for the writer to write this. It's important for us to see today. Jesus is God, and all that we need to know to live our Christian life is found inside of Jesus. And that's easy for us, 2,000 years later, as followers of Jesus to understand, but the connection, particularly for the first century Jews, to see this, that was a radical thing. The next few chapters talk a lot about this, of course, and I, I do want to put out a challenge here. People like challenges, everyone loves a challenge. Go home and read Hebrews. Go home and read Hebrews. 
You may have read it many times before, but, but why we're doing this series in church. Make it your mission. Make it your homework. Don't worry. We won't call roll call next week. Put your hands up. We've read Hebrews. But go home and read Hebrews. Do yourself the benefit of spending some time reading through this book as we talk about it as a church. Put a reminder on your phone, perhaps. It's one time, usually in church, you're not allowed to have phones or anything. If you have a phone, put a reminder on your phone. I don't know if anyone wants to do that. Write it somewhere. Stick it up somewhere. This week, read Hebrews. So, we see that he continues on, the writer, saying, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus has inherited the name of God because he is God. And if you do miss everything else I say this morning, hear this part. Jesus is superior, not only because he is a superior messenger, but because he is the message to humanity. Ultimately, Jesus is the message to humanity from God. If God is speaking, the message he has for humanity today is Jesus. He's spoken to us. His life, his death, and his resurrection are what we stand on. It's God's message to you as well. It's personal. Jesus is for you this morning. He's for me. And I, I really want to get quite practical here. We would be foolish to not dig deeper into Scripture and learn every scrap we can about the message that has been sent to us, about Jesus. And that's why I want to encourage you to read Hebrews. Because in years past, Christians and Jews, for that matter, were called by those that were outside as people of the book. We were known as people of the book. People who looked deep, studied and learnt from the pages of this holy book. And so I want to encourage you in that, and myself, to be known as somebody who has their face in the pages of the Bible and knows it, and knows it well. You might be able to join a Bible study, in fact, if you don't do that already. And I'd encourage you to do that. Or do your own study. In fact, do both. I said I wasn't going to go this morning, long this morning, and I haven't. I hope. But lastly, I would like to finish with this verse, because I think it is very important. It's another passage in the New Testament. Um, Philippians 2, 9-11. And I think it's fitting that we finish with it, because Jesus is the message for you. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The message hasn't changed. The message from God to us this morning is Jesus, the Son. Amen.